Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Another episode of Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a first from Bristol University, a degree I've almost entirely forgotten. But it gives a tiny bit of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the brilliantly funny Kate Barron. Hello. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. No worries. So, as usual, in Psychomedy... Kate and I will not be looking at each other for the duration of the interview. Kate is, as some stand-ups before her have done, is relaxing, lying down, sitting lying down almost on my sofa in my beautiful ex-council mansion. I'm very, very comfortable. It's great. Good, good. Um, so yeah, so in terms of your history as a, uh, as a comedian or indeed as a person, so you mm-hmm. grew up in Vancouver, is that right? I grew uh, up in Vancouver and originally then... and then six years ago-ish I moved to Toronto, yeah. uh, but was not doing comedy at the time. I was actually an art dealer and I was working at a gallery in Toronto and my life did not involve comedy whatsoever other than in appreciating it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in terms of before that and from a, from a child, did you... Did you ever, did you want to be a stand-up comedian? Was stand-up comedy on your radar? It was something that even my mom tells me when I was 10, I talked about being a stand-up comedian, Mm. but I, and I'd always sort of wanted to do it, but I just didn't think it was something that regular people did. Like I genuinely believed that was as ridiculous as someone going, I'm going to be a pop star. And you're just like, okay, we'll pat you on your head and good for you. Go, (laughs) go for it. And I had no idea how to do it at all. So sometimes I would secretly kind of write jokes here and there, Mm. awful ones. Um, And then I, but I never got the nerve. I, I couldn't, I just never got that nerve to do it and didn't have the confidence to even start or try to start looking. Mm. Cool. I read a, I read an article in the star from uh, March 2018, where you were talking about your uh, one of your inspirations being Eddie Murphy's uh, mm-hmm. Delirious and Raw. Yeah. Is, that, is that is that right? When when were you watching that? Because I, it was one of my big inspirations. Those two specials. Yeah, um, of, yeah. It was sort as of a kid. Yeah, and it was that was it was before my time. Before I was able to sort of, I wouldn't have watched it when it originally came out. So I was mm. watching it when I was probably too young to be watching it. But I loved. Love, loved it. I love that kind of humor. And I grew up more on like that and more on 
uh, Saturday Night Live and sitcoms than I did maybe... Eddie Murphy was probably one of the first stand-up comics that I ever really saw and mm. appreciated. Yeah. Mm. I remember as a kid just watching them, just finding them just so exciting, the way he looked. Yeah. And as, as, as I guess you, I never... I, I kind of thought I want to be a stand-up comedian, but that's kind of impossible. Um, but particularly watching someone like Eddie Murphy, just, I mean, what a superstar, the way he looked, what he was saying. Total rock star up there. I'm just owning yeah. it. And in like the red leather outfit, like just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just killing it up there. And you're just like, what a cool job. I just loved the simplicity of it. I've always really loved that about stand-up. I'm not, not that I'm not a fan of people who have sort of bigger over-the-top acts. And I think there's sort of space for that. But I really like the stand-up that's very simple and it's just... A person and a microphone, that's it, in front of a crowd. And it's just ideas and being in that moment. And I think it's really, really something unique. So as a kid, were you, were you you know, you say you stand-up wasn't on your radar in terms of, you know, a job and possibilities. But were you right. funny? Were you trying to be funny? Were you, were you the clown? Yeah, completely. I'm the yeah. baby of the family. Yeah. So I'm that one that's sort of always seeking attention and always trying to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And had an older sister and an older brother and sort of a big family and I was always sort of trying to be that a bit the precocious child and my my friends their parents now tell me it makes complete sense that I do stand-up and they said my humor was far too inappropriate for a child <laughs> and they were like you would say funny things but we couldn't laugh because it was highly inappropriate the things you were saying <laughs> so like at the time you were just a pain in our ass but now it's great <laughs> did you do you remember getting those laughs as a kid and that totally inspiring you and who, yeah who, who oh did you totally get, who did you get those laughs from Cla mainly like classmates and everything okay. i sort of like yearbook i was i think i was voted like class clown or mm. something like that and and it was just like i yeah i'm i'm definitely someone i like to diffuse situations with comedy as well yeah and then and just using comedy like yeah getting those laughs feeding off those laughs coming from a big family trying to get the attention yeah there's a really great home movie which i don't know where it is but it's my sister kind of it's my brother's birthday and my sister steps in front of the camera and they're like ali get out of here <laughs> and she's the middle child and classic middle child and then I step in front and I'm like look at me look at me and I'm like telling jokes and they're like oh yay Kate's here and my sister obviously doesn't look back on that <laughs> fondly but I do and that's I always would get that attention and sort of feed off that I'm very much like I need that energy to to yeah. feed off of and that's why if I go in in a crowd it's sort of small or or what have you or like just not really feeling it it really affects me because i need the energy of the crowd to feed back to me like i'm just yeah. that really in, in any situation even in a even in a work situation i just need that kind of energy yeah are there any particular family members that you used to get laughs out of and that because i i it just made me think about my mom laughing at something i did just something very silly when i was maybe eight or nine what was and it stated it was, there's a question, it was a song and it was, all it was, was, and it's not gonna, it's, it was funnier in the pub, so to speak, but uh, I was about eight years old and I was saying, I was singing, I'm gonna live forever, and I changed the lyrics to, I'm gonna live till I die, right, <laughs> hilarious, right, but she laughed and I, that, I remember that laugh, I remember being on a little slope under an underpass and that really connecting with me, yeah. visceral, like, I love that, that I've made my mom laugh. This is what I want to do. There, were there any family members for you in terms of kind of, I feel, you know, because it's, I don't know, you feel loved by that, don't you, when your mom is... Yeah, of course. Um, 
Anything similar in your yeah, family? Yeah, I think my my grandma. So my parents both worked uh, usually two jobs. And my grandma, my mom's mom, who we named my mom, uh, and my mom lived with us and helped raise us and sort of did, uh, was sort of our third parent and, you know, drove us to everything and, and did everything, made all the dinners and everything while, while our parents were quite busy working away. So she was the person who I most connected with like that. And we would make each other laugh and she would do the first time she saw a thong in the laundry that happened to be my sister's my sister's like first ever bought a thong my grandma came down at christmas dinner lifted up her skirt and over her nylons was the sparkly thong and she lifted up her skirt and ran around the house laughing so like she would do things like that to make everyone else laugh and so i would do things also to make her laugh so we would probably connect the most on that talk me through what was the moment then that uh, switched you from art dealer to really um starting to think i'm gonna do my first gig was that in had you moved to toronto i moved to toronto yeah. you know moved there with a cat and a boyfriend and lived together and talked about marriage and all of that <laughs> funny you and... mentioned the cat first <laughs> well she was more important um and i just kind of had one of those uh i actually saw this sign and it said be careful where you're headed or you'll end up where you're going well, yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I see where I'm headed and I don't want to go there. And yeah. I just kind of left the relationship and unfortunately the cat um well, as soon as you'd <laughs> seen that sign it was like bye it was it was sort of it's sort of coming and i was just sort of like i'm not happy but i don't know why and mm. this is like you know we're talking about getting married and all these things and and he's lovely waited on me hand and foot the nicest guy could not want more but maybe i'm just too much of a bitch to settle for that and i just couldn't so i i actually ended up moving in with a girl who was an open micer at the time and had just started comedy but she was in the art world so she was working for a large museum mm. and she just started doing it on the side and and occasionally we'd kind of sit together and i'd help her write jokes or her friends would come over and they'd all be writing jokes and i'd sit with them and then one day they were all just sort of like well why don't you just come with us mm. and just do an open mic and so i wrote five minutes did not tell anyone nearly backed out a million times as i'm sure you have a story similar to that yeah uh shitting myself and then i went and did it and sort of the rest is history yeah it took me over quite quickly i will say great so this was in your early 30s this was yeah when i was 32 yeah. i didn't start comedy till i was 32 and then as soon as i started and as soon as i was up on stage and getting those laughs yeah i was just like oh I'm a comedian. That's what I am. That's what I've been sort of waiting for this whole time. Yeah. And then... Was that instant? Was that... Um... It was pretty instant, yeah. yeah it was honestly like, it just felt really good to be up there. And mm. just like, it was something that... And then it was jokes were flowing, material was flowing. I was looking at everything differently and what could be premises, what could be jokes. And it all sort of started happening. I did it right before I went to a big destination wedding and didn't tell anyone. And so I, and I'm like, if it, it is bombs, I won't tell anyone. If it goes well, I'll post it on Instagram, mm. post it on Instagram. And I think I'm very fortunate and I'm very not the common story because most of the people that I've met haven't had wholehearted support from their friends and family all the time. Right. Because it is sort of an odd career choice and yep. want to do this. And because it is kind of a bit of a, you know, pie in the sky dream. Mm. Uh, but my family has been 100% behind me the whole time going, yeah, I see it 100%. You're going to do it That's for great. sure. So it's, it's a very cool thing to have happen. So it's interesting to think of you kind of being an art dealer, not really having stand up on your mind and then just moving in with this comic and then getting on stage and almost instantly thinking, 
I am a stand-up comedian. It's something I've mentioned previously on this podcast. That moment of like, yes, yeah. this is what I am. And that yeah. presumably that kind of rush of happiness, kind of finally this is what, even though subsequently probably it's been very difficult or whatever, and you realise it's not as great as that first gig potentially uh, all the time. But in that, those first moments, you think this is it. At least this is, I found this. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. It's just, it was one of those things that I just, I had this hunger for and I'm someone who I'm, I'm quite driven and I have quite a hustle behind me. And I, if I want something, I'm going to go for it. And I just saw, I could see the art world. I think the, the biggest benefit to that, it taught me the performing and visual arts are all very similar, right? And business is very similar. So being, having worked sort of in the business world, in sales, in, in roles that encompass sort of marketing sales as an art dealer, talking about the art and the value and everything, it all sort of built up to prepare me to sell myself. I write mm. my own press releases. I pitched that article in the Toronto Star. I was yeah. hounding that reporter for months to get that story. <laughs> and then I ended up being on the front page of the entire entertainment section. So... I, I have that hustle within me, but it's because I have the business background yeah. to do that kind of thing. And I don't think I would have had that, nor would I have had the confidence or the perspective that I have now had I started comedy earlier in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big thing. I don't think I could speak confidently about the things I speak confidently about now. <laughs> when I was in my early 20s, if a, if a guy I thought was attractive said something, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that too. And my mind would just like sway so easily. Yeah. As you say, if you're talking about dating and sex and you're in your early 30s, you've got more to say than maybe some of the comics that are coming out at 18 talking about sex. And you're like, have you actually had sex? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm a grown ass woman. I, you know, I live on my own. I pay my rent. I have a full time job. I live a life. I've had long term relationships. I've had lots of short term relationships. And so it's like all of those types of things, I think, that help people relate to my stand-up because it's just they get it like they've lived it too and they they see it and i'm pretty who i am i think i maybe you can judge this right. i th i think who i am on stage and in person and everything is quite similar it really yeah. is like who i am i try to not i try to represent myself as as much as possible and as candidly as possible across all boards and that means sometimes i'm swearing with my clients when i'm <laughs> when i'm working and that means you know that i'm a certain way on stage too yeah, nice. No, absolutely. I mean, the audience just tap into your um, sincerity. And that, 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 that's something that was mentioned um, by the organizer of a uh, competition. So it was the Toronto Comedy Brawl Showdown. When yeah. you were 33, I believe, which you yeah. won. You were the first woman to win it in its yeah. nine-year history. Yeah. So that was 400 people, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was like four, kind of battles, four was it? something Comedy battles. entered, six months long, and it was just, you know. Six months long. Six like months that. long, because it's about 450-odd comics who wow. go into it, and they've been running it for... Uh, well, now it's in its 11th year. At that time, it was its ninth year. Uh, they'd never had a woman win it. And it just goes round after round after round. So are you battling of, against another comic? In that? Uh, it's it's basically, uh, it's audiences vote on who they like the best when they're up there. Right. Um, and the way the system has worked, it, it's, it's great how he works it out, actually, because it's sort of, anyway, long story short, it's not just a popularity contest. It's kind of the audience's... It counts who they could put in second and third place, and they have to rank people a certain way okay. to sort of alleviate any favoritism that might happen. Yeah. But it's a competition where a group of comics are going up sort of night after night and competing against each other yeah. as it whittles down into a finals. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that to me just sounds horrendous. Oh, it is. It's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Not as bad as the King Gong at Comedy Store. But but you're doing this night after night for six months. No, not night after night. night after night. But like, yeah, again and again. But this is, this is, I'm in a competition this Saturday. I'm in the semifinals for Funny Women in Brighton this Saturday. But you can do any competition now. You've you've beaten 450 people in Toronto. Oh, God. But there's, I think they they said there was just over 400 that entered funny women as well and then they narrowed yeah. it down to 200 in the live yeah. and then now it's down to the semi-finals and i'm just like when will it come i think i'll be 100 years old and in a comedy competition <laughs> um, the funniest 100 year old yeah exactly like the funniest grandma <laughs> so you're talking about being driven and the hustle is there mm-hmm. is there a kind of ruthlessness there as well yeah is it, yeah for sure i'm i'm very competitive yeah i it's the reason i love tennis Okay. I speak a lot with, uh, you know, formerly when I worked for the Second City, I spoke with a lot of improvisers and the artistic director, Kevin Frank, uh, he's a lovely man. And he talked to, he described to me one day the person who's the exact wrong person for improv. And it is me. <laughs> it is me to a T. He's like, they'd rather lose on their own than win as a team. It's about them. And they, you know, all these kinds of things. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want the whole spotlight? Fuck it. And that's the same with tennis. Like I love, I love tennis because it is, it's ruthless. It's you versus them. I was, if I play doubles, I push the other person out of the way and take the ball. Like I, it's, yeah. I cannot do it. And in comedy, I'm the same. I'm very, mm. very competitive. Yeah. And I, you know, I do set goals for myself of like who I need to be messaging and emailing and be on top of. And before I knew I was going to move here, you know, months before I was already emailing and setting up gigs at, you know, uh, backyard and, and yeah. comedy store and stuff like that and just go I need to hit the ground running Great. because no one is going to know me here so I better show them what I got and I I kind of think that every night is an opportunity especially now for me here to to establish myself it yeah. needs to be an opportunity for me to show people what I have because there's yeah. all these people watching me yeah and how does that come across that ruthlessness in terms of how you're interacting with other comics how you are at a night of comedy how you kind of do you think about how well you want the other comics to do in terms of before you get on that kind of thing in terms of oh no no, uh, no. so not ruthless like that i right. i love being around comics and i genuinely believe like when everyone does well that is better for the art form because yeah. in my mind and i was actually i've asked been asked this question before yeah. and somebody said do you love seeing other comics bomb and i was like why would i love that one <laughs> That's a horrible feeling. No one wants to bomb and I can empathize. Like that just sucks inside, right? Mm. And I and I don't want to see them bomb because the problem with that is or wishing for other comics to bomb, it's so short-sighted because the people that, you know, pay for babysitters or make a night out and they go see comedy and if other acts bomb and you're the best, next time they'll go, "You know what? Remember that time we paid for the comedy show?" It wasn't that good. Why don't we just go see a movie instead? And that's the reality. They'll start spending their money on theater or movies or something else or axe throwing instead of coming to support live comedy. So, no, I am... Uh, I would always, I would actually rather be the worst person on every bill that I'm on because mm. I think I can learn more. And I think my ruthlessness, it's less ruthless and more competitive. Like I would rather be the worst person because I want to be boxing in the league that all these other guys are playing in. Nice. I want to be up there and I want them to help elevate me so I can watch like who's doing what, how they handle the crowd, what tips can I learn, how they, you know, work make the premises work, all that kind of stuff. So... Yeah, long answer, but yeah. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice. 
Sounds like a nice ruthlessness. Thing. A nice ruthlessness. <laughs> yeah. I want everyone to get out of my way, but like have a good time but, doing but it. But you'll, but you'll, <laughs> you'll give them a seat to sit down. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Nice. Well, let's uh, let's cut to this gig, shall we? Then uh, sure, yeah. So um, that we um, that we met at. So it was at the Camden Comedy Club uh, a couple of years ago. It was uh, as tends to happen in July in London. You may have noticed the kind of audience audience uh, kind of numbers start to drop off as it's yeah. the only month of the year yeah. that is sunny. But um, it was a kind of nice, friendlyish crowd. It was quite. It was quite a. I would say a in terms of the previous act in terms of. Anything slightly controversial, edgy had not got the laughs that maybe something a bit tamer had done. So it was right. maybe maybe that kind of a kind of a tame, kind of polite, polite crowd. And of course, right. I, and then of course, I don't know your act apart from the clips that I've seen. So I was looking forward to you coming on stage in this kind of polite crowd. Is this something you're thinking about before you come on? In terms of this is a polite night here because actually in, in your opening line you said presumably as a joke, he said, would you like my normal set or would you like my more polite, tame set? And I, you know, I presume that's a question that however they answer it, you're just going to do your stuff. Exactly. But, yeah, yeah, um... yeah. It doesn't matter what they say. I'm going into what I'm going into. Yeah. No, and I even find that people who want that more, like even claim to sort of want that more polite stuff, I, I like to hit them how I like to hit them. And yeah. I think I, I will alter it slightly. I do have certain jokes that I would pull more... Um, <laughs> If it was a, a quite an older crowd, I wouldn't do as much. But on it, I feel like people are people, and they want it. And that sort of that that like gut reaction they have to laugh at certain things that are highly inappropriate yeah. happens often. And that shock value is something that I like as well. Yeah. I usually open my sets with really aggressive. I open them up really <laughs> aggressively. Like I like to open them up really aggressively to yeah. sort of set that tone. Yeah. Um, so even if they're very nice, yeah, if they had said, oh, give us the nice stuff, I would just sit there and blink at them. I don't even yeah. know what I would say. And do you have any fear there in terms of opening up aggressively going in so hard? Yeah, sure. But if, I mean, a little bit, I guess, but at the oh. same time, if they really pulled back and they weren't liking it, I would probably start engaging with them more. I would talk about why, why. I would probably get into that with them. <laughs> I've never really had a response where people go, oh, and clutch their pearls and walk out and faint <laughs> or something. I'm sure I've walked people before. But I don't, I don't know, though. Yeah. Someone told me once that because I smile a lot on stage and because I'm kind of friendly seeming, that even the stuff I say doesn't come across so aggressively yeah. because, you know, I'll go up there and drop the F-bomb a hundred times, but then... I'm smiling. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're very warm. <coughs> and, uh, you're a nice ruthless. <laughs> yeah, a nice ruthlessness. Yeah. So um, we're going to play a couple of clips from this uh, gig just to give a flavor. Um, I remember it being awful, so go for it. Oh, no, it was fine. I mean, the, we, we, haven't, we, we haven't actually got a mic brilliantly for, for, for clips. I don't think we had a mic particularly on the audience's laughter here, but you can hear them laughing. They were laughing. Um, so there was just a couple of clips I wanted to play. Sure. Um, and the first one, you're talking to a couple in the front row who end up on being uh, on date three. <laughs> date three. <laughs> so kind of uh, symptomatic of this audience. Very sweet. Oh, they're on date three. So here we go with you having a little chat with them. <laughs> yes, threesome. This is happening. What have, have you guys already been talking? You haven't been talking to you, right? You're like, no, thank God. We have not yet. You guys are together, obviously. I say obviously. You don't know. Okay. Oh, so you're a whore. No, I'm just <laughs> a whore for hire. Boys, take notes. 
No, no, no. I'm just, you're lovely. So uh, is this like a Tinder date or what is this? Date three. Oh, so still pretty new. Um, yeah, but you, have you guys fucked yet? This is, this is literally the whole show is just going to be this. <laughs> I like the way you kind of almost, it's almost like it's something you'd never said before. Like, have you guys fucked yet? In terms of like, you had a thing and just like the first thing that came out of your head. Have you guys fucked yet? And like, me and Mike were sitting at the back just laughing, thinking this is funny. This is, as you say, this is sh- shocking in a way, but it's funny and it's, it's in the moment. Um, I genuinely try to talk to the audience as though I'm out for brunch with my friends. But and I'm just like, do you okay. guys fuck last night? Like, are you fu- like, what's happening? Yeah, okay. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, this is it. The, <laughs> many of the things that you were saying, which appear shocking in a comedy club, absolutely, you'd say to your friends. You know, Exactly. There was, there was a bit that you say about <laughs> fearing, fearing the dick is small. Yes. Um, <laughs> that bit. And that's, I think that's the first time ever in my 80 years of comedy that I've heard <laughs> kind of a comic talking to couples in terms of this is what you're thinking. Now, you haven't seen a dick and you're fearing the dick is small because that's something that is always mentioned to me by my female friends. They'll say, actually, that's what we're thinking in the day one or two is the dick, what's the dick the like? Bigger, my, the, one of the bigger fears, <laughs> other than the normal fears for women to fear men, but like one of the bigger fears is like they're going to fall for this guy and like he's going to be great and then you'll have some shitty little dick and won't know how to work it and then just go fuck what do you do but other female friends have said this to me as men sitting here with the producer just like isn't this a bit cruel like i mean shitty little dick no (laughs) yeah no it is cruel but don't tell me men don't speak about women like that either you know what i mean men are more women at least give the personality first or men will look more uh, sort of more visual first and then get to know somebody but there's nothing for us to talk about in terms of what's the size of yeah you're not gonna go oh if i'm so worried her (laughs) vagina is gaping and i'll like be a hot dog down a hallway so this is like you know i'm talking obviously on behalf of other men who might find this cool (laughs) no (laughs) i always think of those men in the clubs thinking this (laughs) i don't know but just because here, I will say this. Okay. I think it... Yeah, I agree. It's it's not the nicest thing, but it's funny. <laughs> but it's not the nicest thing. But here's the thing. Women are more forgiving of that stuff. Mm. And also, I make fun of sort of dick size because it is a genuine thing. People... Mm. It's not even making fun of it. It's a genuine question in people's mind. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a deal breaker. And just because you have, uh, you know, maybe an odd dick or a bent dick or a small dick or a little short fat tuna can <laughs> dick, whatever, doesn't mean as well you won't be a good sexual partner. That doesn't... <laughs> Mean anything, I think the but tuna it is. can dick will rule you out. <laughs> you all, you'd be surprised. I'm telling you, I've done the survey. If given the option of a pencil or a tuna can, women are picking the tuna can. <laughs> I'm saying tuna can as if I know what that is. What? Do you guys not have cans of what, tuna? What, what is tuna? Of course we do, but what's a tuna can dick? Well, I mean, like, short and wide. Okay, sure, like a chode. As, as, like as a po- a chode what's a chode? We, I, th- I think I've heard that called a chode rather than oh, a tuna okay. can. I thought a chode... <laughs> I thought when people <laughs> said chode, they referred to the like perineum, like the skin between the balls and the ass. <laughs> I don't know. Tuna can would suggest of. more a kind of s- the smell of a dick. Oh, me. no, I'd not the smell, tuna- the shape. We're just t- strictly, no, I don't want a tuna smelling dick. Oh, God. <laughs> but you want a tuna can dick. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> just not the smell. No, I want a hairspray can dick. <laughs> a hairspray can dick. What's that? Well, just okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One that blows. My like hairspray that. can is black, so I mean, 
Also that. <laughs> okay. Right. So these are the guy these are some of the things you're saying on stage as well. It's very, very funny and like it's like but so, Interesting, you said something there in terms of not the only reason to fear men. It's like you getting up there as a woman. You mentioned it there in that clip, uh, the three, uh, you, you talked to the three boys. There were three boys sitting, quite young boys, like 20 yeah. year old boys, sitting next to. I, think I call them the Manson brothers. <laughs> yeah, sitting next, <laughs> sitting next to the. Um, sitting next to that couple on their mm -hmm. third date and you're talking about sex with them you're talking about you know as a, you know as you say threesome do you ever think about like the difference between a man and a woman standing up there in terms of a man standing up there talking to three young girls in the crowd oh you know? of course it's um, completely different i think but just the same as you know uh, you know a, a black comic can say certain things that yeah. i can't say uh, asian com you relate to things in a different way and i think yeah. when things get said by a man versus a woman it comes across there's different I think history and intent behind it. Yeah. So I think that all needs to be factored in as well. When you have different people saying things based on their experiences, it, it does come across quite differently in the and they read it quite differently as well. So I think that yeah, oh I'm sure. If a man went up and said a bunch of the stuff that I say, mm. I, I think he would look like a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just sound like a sassy lady who's not afraid to speak her mind. But if I was a man, I'd just be a gross pervert, I think. <laughs> so are all the things you talk about without going into too much detail, although you've already mentioned tuna dick. And <laughs> so I think we've already gone into the detail. But yeah, the things yeah. you talk about, are they all kind of true? And like, you know, the way you're feeling and yeah. you're very, you know, you're very open about. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the hairspray can or whatever. You're very open about it. And that, that's, you know, that's another thing I think the audience are finding endearing, that you seem completely open here. This is what I like. I'm celebrating it, you know? Yeah, I think true-ish. Obviously, there's hmm. certain times where it's exaggerated for yeah. comedic effect, as we all do that uh, with yeah. comedy. But, yeah, true-ish. And genuinely, these are, these are usually these premises are based off of conversations with friends or things I see in the real world, hmm. you know, things that are actually happening. I just had this conversation with a bunch of girlfriends the other day how men, and this is my new bit that I'm working out, is how men constantly cockblock themselves. And they actually think it's so hard to get sex, but really, it's in front of them. And they're the ones preventing themselves from, from getting laid. And women will be prepared, as in like, wax, shave, get all ready, clean their room, get sex ready, which men don't even give a shit about, but that's another point. But they'll get all ready, and I compare it to like, when you throw a treat down for a dog, and he's standing over it, and he's like, where's the treat? And you're like, bro, it's in front of, you're on top of it. And then he goes, where? And he's looking around and he can't find it. And you're like, dude, pick up, eat the fucking treat. And he's like, I'm hungry. I want, I'm like, I threw it down. If you can't find it, that's your own fucking problem. And that is what it is with men. It's like, it's this, this thing that they do. So it, it's real conversations that I'm having with friends where I have girlfriends who say, I was fucking waxed and shaved and like a fucking baby, smooth head to toe, ready to go. And then this guy was just, a, all I needed him to do was just sort of be somewhat nice. And I was ready to get down. And he just was such a dick. And I just couldn't. I wasn't going to fuck him after that. And I think that's, it's things like that where I genuinely believe men don't realize certain things. So I want to bring those mm. up. But also I think there's this sort of fear with women to talk about certain things openly. Yeah. And I, I just think like, why? Like, just own it. Own who you are. Own your sexuality. It's, it's fine. Mm. It's 2019. Like, oh my God, the world is imploding. Live your best life as much as you can. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, which is great. But do you think you're speaking for the majority of women there? 
terms of the way they feel because of, of course I know women like that but I know women very different to that so. yeah of course and no I can only speak to you know certain people and I only have my own experiences right so yeah. I know there's going to be different people and I and I have friends myself who are who are very conservative who are mm. not like this at all and who they're very private and that's okay too it's completely fine but what I'm trying to say is it doesn't mm. matter where on that spectrum of sharing and openness you are, mm. wherever it is, it's 100% okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's more what I'm trying to say is is, is whatever you want to, you know, you know, and when we're specifically talking about sex and dating and stuff, if it's between two consensual adults, then give her. Go for it. Talk about it. Do whatever. And mm -hmm. oftentimes it's women who have been sort of made to feel like, I think that they can't have this voice. They can't talk about it or things that'll happen that they're almost ashamed of or embarrassed of. And as soon as they start talking about it, like, oh my God, that's happened to you. That's happened to me. Like farting during sex or getting your period in the middle of sex or weird things that happen that women if you feel like you can't talk about that and you feel like you're the only person who's ever done it you're so embarrassed and yeah. then as soon as people start talking about it they go oh I, i'm not i'm not so ashamed about this or whatever like you know men going down on women the, talking about that it's been such this taboo which like why when blowjobs are all over pop culture <laughs> well, I mean, not all over, but you know, <laughs> all over what I watch. I struggle with a lot of these things, a lot of what I can talk about, how serious I can get, mm. where will I lose the audience, you know, mm. how much of this I can go into. And I'm going to, I kind of want to explore that in my show next year yeah. about what I can go into. And even just me saying the things I say and it sort of how that, how people's reactions are to it mm. and, you know, where I can take that. And as somebody who's, I have never really seen a woman who's not like thin and gorgeous get up on stage and not call herself a piece of shit. Every other woman who's sort of plus size or curvy or whatever who mm. goes up there, it's always making jokes at her own expense. Which and I didn't I, hear you mention in, I, in your set. I uh, do not do that. I yeah, don't do self-deprecating humor on myself. I think it's... I think it's cheap. I think it's hack. I think it's so easy. And mm. I think, and that's honestly, that's not how I feel. I don't think I'm a piece of shit. Yeah. So why would I go up there and do that? And I, when I was watching Hannah Gatsby's special, like mm. I've watched it three times. There's a, there's a point in it. It get, it, I, 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 I understand why people have take issue with it, mm. but I think it's great. And I think it's important to watch. And there's a point where she talks about, you know, she was always putting herself down. And after so long as a, she herself is a curvy queer woman. And as, as someone, when you, when you do that again and again, you're, you know, it's no longer like this act of humility. It's an act of humiliation. Mm. And you constantly humiliate yourself on stage for what? For the laughs of others. And every other person who will relate to you or see themselves in you will just go, okay, so am I a piece of shit? If everyone in this room is laughing at these jokes, and I just don't want that. I actually wrote a joke once, and it never hit. It never hit, and I was like, why is this joke not hitting? And I spoke to one of my comedy friends about it, and they go, because it's like weirdly self-deprecating when your whole set is just like, I'm awesome. You should be so lucky for me to sit on your face. <laughs> like to all of a sudden this one odd self-deprecating line and it didn't sit well with the audience because the audience mm. goes, wait, so are you, th who are you then? Yeah. Are you this super confident woman up there? Or are you this person who's sort of unsure? And I was like, oh yeah, that's a hundred percent it. And I changed it. I altered it slightly. And now it hits because 
because it, it does have that confidence. And I just, I don't want to be that woman. I don't want to be yet another woman going, oh, boo-hoo me, I'm this victim. Uh, and that has its place, but just not, not for me on stage. Yeah. So this is who you are. You're a confident person. You're confident in who you are. Yeah, I'm fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You are. So can you give us any quick hints of where this will go maybe in Edinburgh in terms of those yeah. deeper layers of... Um, of how you're thinking about love and relationships in terms of because what we've seen so far from your set is yeah you're talking about the you're talking about the sex you're talking about the dick where's that gonna go do you think uh do you have any idea where that's gonna yeah go? i mean i don't know and some of it might be even you know me it might even be an exploration of the things i don't think i can say on stage without losing a crowd or might be the things i think that i i wouldn't be able to do i don't like but do you think that's saying it without saying it? Are exactly. You, are you holding back from anything well, in terms of the, the your deeper feelings? Yeah, maybe. Time? And like, I so I don't know exactly where it's going to go. That's sort of my thing. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I like you know need to explore more of why I feel the need to be so confident on stage, so overconfident. I I don't like being super vulnerable up there, mm. and maybe explore that a little bit. But do, you and, ever, do you ever feel vulnerable? Of course I feel vulnerable. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, and you can't, you know, you you can't not feel vulnerable as somebody who, not only am I a plus size woman, but I'm, I'm a woman in general and I'm in a man's field. And oh. so as somebody who's been told, you know, to, you know, you shouldn't be this, you should, you're too loud, you're too fat, you're too, too much all the time, get quieter, get smaller, shrink down to go okay, now I want a room of people to stop, look at me, and I'm going to take over the stage and be larger than life. And I'm the sort of antithesis of what society wants someone like me to be. Mm. And I think that in and of itself is the sort of thing that I want to explore of of, of all of that and, and how you can do that. And I'm a bit of, I think, in all the careers that I've had, including comedy, have been a little bit of like fake it till you make it. And this is sort of the same with this, but I've sort of faked my confidence to a point where I'm like, no, I, I think I am this now. Like I, I am really confident. I'm really proud of the jokes that I do. I'm really proud of myself when I come off stage and someone who goes great job. I'm not, I mean, other than that, <laughs> that, that show that you heard wasn't my best, but, but if somebody show. goes, that was great. Show. And if I had a great show, I'll be like, yeah, fuck yeah, it was like, I know I'm confident in who I am. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe exploring that kind of stuff, but also doing it in a way that I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And, and how that plays into being really confident and really not needing, not needing a man. And I'm very fearful actually of getting into a relationship and pulling back on, I don't know a lot of comics who are in successful, happy, thriving relationships who also have successful, happy, thriving careers. Mm. And I don't know if those two things can, can exist. Uh, can coexist mm. in a in a you know harmonious way, and I'm very fearful that I will pull my foot off the gas pedal if I meet someone. Yeah, and so that and that does happen. Yeah, uh, totally. And that's the thing that I'm just like, am I prepared to? I've waited so long, and I'm competing with people who are so much younger than me for the same spots. Am I prepared right now when I have this momentum to give that up? And yeah. I don't think I am. So what you're saying there is you're fearing love. <clears throat> yeah, I guess a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I have a lot of love around me through friends and family and mm. I, you know, date and do that kind of thing. But mm. I very quickly, I, I've been told I'm, I'm too quick to dismiss, uh, men because I just go, okay, I don't see it. You're, I'm not wasting my time. I'd rather be at a gig tonight mm. and I'd rather just go write jokes or be at a gig or something where I feel my time is more valuable. Uh, but I think 
and I don't know. I don't know what would happen if it came along. If I found it, I don't know what I would do. I think it would, I would have a real crisis of conscience, I think, with yeah. it. If you'd love them too much, you'd want to run for the other reasons. Well, so, yeah. yeah, exactly, right? That's that's a hard thing to do. And could I be... I don't, I, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people fall into the people they're with and become... They take on a lot of, you know, the relationship and bring that into their sets. And that would alter my even my material and what I talk about and yeah. how I speak about it. So what would that mean? Bigger picture, all of that kind of stuff. Well, this is you saying, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm not... Um... I'm not going <laughs> to give in to love. I think stand-up comedy is more important than love. Is that right? Uh, no, I don't know if that's 100%. Uh, but it's kind of what you were saying there. I mean, I don't know that I'm saying definitively it is more important. I'm saying... Right now? Is it right now it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right now, yeah. Right now in my life, if, if I was choosing, I would choose stand-up. So if I could introduce you to someone and you fall in love with them and you just be incredibly happy with them now for the rest of your life and not do stand-up, you'd choose stand-up over meeting that person? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really fucked up to hear. <laughs> but what do you... I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, what, no, absolutely. Are you in a relationship? I'm, da I'm down with that. I'm totally down with that. The reason I'm asking the question is I'm, d I'm down with that. And uh, it, it just makes you a stand-up. And all those people that we've talked about probably have very similar feelings in terms of stand-up is what I love. Yeah. I love you as well, but this is what I really love. I just think, and even especially right now, I think there's such importance behind this art form and, and what it what it's doing and what people are saying and the people that are doing it well. And even it may appear that I'm just talking about you know, sex and dating and sort of mm. theoretically unimportant things, but really those are big parts of our lives. Mm. And... I just think it's really important right now to have comics who are pushing these conversations forward and making people feel like they can relate and getting people off of their devices and relating in a room and living in a moment. And it's just, it never happens. And I think it's just this thing that I, I love it so much. I, I just can't imagine someone coming in and me being able to go, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, as we're reaching the end of our time, no. you sound like you're reaching the end of our time on this earth with that cough. But, I know. Um, <laughs> oh God, I have like a coal miner's cough. Sorry, we are reaching the end. But before we go, let's have a let's have the second clip. I probably should have played this earlier, but let's end on a second clip because it's just very funny and uh, just sums you up at how funny you are and uh, how you know, it was. It was a it was a quiet room in terms of a timid, polite room, but you smashed it. As I'm sure you'll continue to do so. And this was a lovely moment when you're talking to uh, a couple that. Uh, not date three, it was date two with them, and it comes out in a very funny <laughs> way. Here we go. What's the story with you two who came in later at the back there? You said sucking dick? <laughs> that, that's literally what I heard. <laughs> sucking dick. Right now? Good for you. Goals. <laughs> Did you say sucking? Second date. <laughs> Second date. But maybe sucking dick, depending on how the night goes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, okay, I'm going to preface this by saying I have some hearing loss <laughs> in one of my ears. I blew out my eardrums when I was a kid. So I do. That's why I naturally speak so loud. And, uh, and sometimes I mishear what, what people are saying. So I honestly did hear sucking dick. But I think I also hear what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> Even your hearing loss is funny. It was great. It was great. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, 
that's yes we are reaching the end of our time i've enjoyed this so much and yeah, um, i think um i don't know it's when i when audiences or when certainly i'm looking at you now on stage and you're talking about these things the the, the conversation i'm going to remember is you talking about you love this more than anyone in the room that might come on to you <laughs> come up to you afterwards <laughs> and fall in love with you you don't want that because right now you love this comedy art form more, which i think personally is a stand-up that's just great a lot of people listening will go what are you talking I about know, you love i know i know it's than... great don't play this for my mother she'll have a heart attack <laughs> you love your mom more than stand-up yeah, she's all right. <laughs> I love her. I love her. Okay. I love my family. <laughs> Let's get that in right at the end. I love my family. Not as much as stand-up. But... <laughs> Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thanks that for was, having me. That was uh, brilliant. Thank you so much. So that is our show for today. But join us again next week for more Psychomedy. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. <laughs> That's true. Psychology was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pod People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. Follow us on social media at Pod People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Kate underscore Barron. So that is Psychomedy. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Kate. That was great. Thank you. And see you next week. Lots of love. Cheers. Cheers.